Hey, welcome to FBCO. We're so glad to have you with us. Uh, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Mark, chapter 2. And if you'd like to connect with us, maybe you have a prayer request, just you'll see the information uh, on the screen in front of you. Just send us that those prayer requests. Or if you'd like help finding one of our life groups that meets uh, via uh, Zoom or one of the other mediums, if you'll just contact us, maybe you want to talk to someone more about a spiritual matter, we'll help in any way that we can. Or if you just want to find out more about our church, we'd be happy to connect with you. And we are about to add to our online services. We're going to go in person as well next Sunday, which is the 21st. Actually, this coming Wednesday night, we'll meet live on the 17th. But on the 21st, we'll have uh, live in-person services in addition to our online services. So uh, if you need to see, if you're vulnerable or, or helping people who are vulnerable and you are just not ready to meet, you can, online will still be there, 940 and 11 o'clock. And then of course, you can always see it later. And, uh, but we'll meet together live at 940 or at 11 o'clock. We'll do social distancing, all of those things. You can go to our website. We'll have more information about it. And we are really looking forward to the opportunity to have worship together. We'll stu still do a lot of our uh, small group things online, but we are really delighted to be able to worship together. And next week, I'm going to preach from the book of 1 Kings, uh, those next uh, couple of weeks. And if you're able to join us and ready to join us, we'd be happy to have you. So uh, open your Bibles, though, if you will, to Mark 2. And if you'll get something to write with, I'll give you some notes to take. And then we'll um, work our way through this great story in the Bible. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I love to preach from this story. It's just a story that God has used in my life. It's meaningful. And I think it just has some real application for us. So let's read Mark chapter 2. And uh, we're, we'll begin with verse 1. The Bible says, when Jesus entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. I love this story. What a powerful story. And I want us to look at four uh, people or groups of people and kind of apply each of the lessons they learn or they teach us to our own lives today. So let's note each of these groups. The first group I want you to note are what I'm calling the helpers. We'll just call them the helpers. And in every church at every time, there have been people who have been helpers along the way. We have, of course, many people in our church family who are encouraging and supporting and they serve. And I cannot tell you how many people in our church are just, you can just count on them and depend upon them. And I thank the Lord for people like that, who don't just, you know, kind of watch from the sidelines, but really participate, really serve, really help. They teach our life groups. They help on 
uh, in our activities. They encourage in every way. We're thankful for people like them. And this story has helpers, certainly. The Bible tells us in verse 3 that uh, Jesus had been there in Capernaum and, and uh, he, it's just a packed, he was at the house, but it was just packed with people and Jesus was preaching to them. And the Bible says in verse 3, they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. So there's at least four helpers, maybe more, but at least four because we know four of them, each of them have, a, I guess, a corner of the pallet the man uh, was uh, resting on and they brought him because he's unable to walk. They brought him to Jesus. And I uh, am grateful for people like this who help. Let, let's note some characteristics of them. I just, I'll note five things. These are people who have compassion. They didn't just say, well, it's too bad for the guy. I mean, they had compassion on this paralyzed man. They cared about him. You know, you'll never do anything if you don't have some compassion. If you don't see, if you begin to see the world as others sees it. If you could, the Bible tells us we weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. There's something about just having compassion for people who are hurting. And sometimes as I often say, when people are grieving or people are hurting or people are broken or people are, are going through a difficult time, they don't so much need our fixing of them. They need our, our care, our compassion, our love for them. Sometimes just our presence. And here are some people who had deep compassion. They cared about this friend. They must have said, uh, Jesus is the great miracle worker and our friend needs the miracle. They had, uh, secondly, they had action. It wasn't just compassion. You know, compassion says, boy, I wish our friend, you know, could get to Jesus. I wish Jesus could get to our friend. They did something. They cared and they acted. And really those two things go together. I am, I am always grateful when I see people who care and who get directly involved in helping find solutions. And they said, we're going to do something about this. We don't just feel sorry for the man. We don't just wish he could come into contact with Jesus. We're going to do something about this. We're going to put our faith into action. We remember recently we preached, uh, we looked at the book of James. We, we noted faith in action and how faith and works are always connected together. And how when we care, when we deeply care, of course, it always ought to lead to the action of caring. And so these men did something. They actually picked up each of them a corner of a pallet and brought the man to Jesus. Notice a third characteristic. They're persistent. They have persistence. The Bible says they got to the, to the door, to the, to the house, and they couldn't get in because it's so crowded. And they could have just said, like so many would, I suppose, well, we tried. <laughs> you know, we gave it the, good, the old college try, and we couldn't get our friend to Jesus. But they were persistent. Uh, they didn't give up. And they did something extraordinary because of that. Persistence is a, an important characteristic in our faith. A, a lot of people have said, I'm, I'm making a commitment to the Lord. They just never follow through with the persistence. They say something like this, I'm going to read the Bible. They just don't do it. You know, it's one thing to make a commitment to say, I'm going to read through the whole New Testament. I'm going to read the New Testament for myself. It's another day by day by day by day to read chapters of the Bible and to begin to put that into practice. That's persistence. And some days you feel more like it than others. And some days you wake up easier than others. And some days it's more convenient than others. But there's a power to persistence. And these friends had compassion that led to action, but they didn't just stop there. They stayed at it. They didn't stop just because it was difficult. And can I just tell you, if you get involved in serving the Lord, there'll be times when it will be inconvenient. 
And there's times when it's difficult. And there's times when, it's, when it takes some sacrifice. And often, often it requires persistence. But there's a fourth thing I want you to note about them. They had what I call innovation. Because the Bible says in verse 4, since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. <laughs> they didn't just get to the house and say, nothing we can do. They said, we're going to find a way. We're going to find a solution to do what our friend needs. And so they did. They went up to the roof and they tore a hole in the roof and lowered the man down by ropes right in front of Jesus. And I'm telling you, that is an innovation. I can guarantee you someone said, we've never done it this way before. <laughs> I can guarantee you, we've never done it this way before. And they had an innovative spirit. And they said, we're going to find a way to do what needs to be done. We're going to think outside the box for a moment. We're going to find a way to bring our friend to Jesus. And the Lord will honor that. The Lord will care about that. There's something about their persistence and their innovation. They're willing to do the unusual, something that just, that doesn't normally happen. People don't normally tear a hole in their roof, but they cared so, so much compassion that led to action, that led to persistence, resulted in innovation. But the real key is faith. And I suppose I read this story many, 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 many times before I, before I really understood this principle. The Bible tells us in verse 5, these words. The Bible says, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I've read that many times without ever catching faith. I, I guess I always perceived it as, as though the Bible said, Jesus, Jesus healed the man based on his faith. That's not what it says. It doesn't say seeing his faith, does it? Verse 5 says, seeing their faith. So Jesus watches as the men with compassion and action and persistence and innovation lower the the paralyzed man right in front of him. And the Bible says, seeing their faith, not the man's faith, seeing their faith, Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. It's an extraordinary, it's an extraordinary lesson. Here's what it's saying to us. If you will live by faith, God will bless others through your faith. Did you get that? If you will live by faith, God will bless others through your faith. There is something about faith that is so powerful. And the Lord is saying, if you'll live by faith, if you will choose to follow me and live by faith, if you'll believe me for what I want to do in your life and the lives of others, I will bless others. Not, not only will I bless you, he's saying, I'll bless others through your faith. And the Lord is going to look at your faith and through your faith, he'll bless others. Listen, parents, if you'll set a godly example, it will be a blessing. Your faith will be a blessing to your children or to your grandchildren. If, if you'll live by faith, your faith will be a blessing to the people that work with you or the people who go to school with you or the people that live in your neighborhood. God will use your faith to bless others. Your faith is not just for you. Your faith is always blessed by God and in your life and blessed by God in the lives of others. And so get that principle in your mind. If you will live by faith, God will bless others through your faith. And those of you who serve so faithfully in our own church or uh, in the church that you attend. Man, God bless you. God bless you. May your tribe increase. We need people who are willing to serve in a generation that says, what's in it for me? We need people who will say, what can I do for the glory of God? And how can I think of others and not just myself? 
And how can, I, how can I do something for the glory of God? And how can I show compassion and turn that into action and follow through with some, with some persistence? And where necessary, provide some innovation and live by faith. And if you'll do that, God will bless others through your faith. But there's a, there's a second group of people I want you to see. It's a very important group. It's what I'm calling the hinderers, the ones who hinder faith, the hinderers. The Bible says uh, kind of an amazing thing here. It's one thing to say, I'm going to help. I'll be one who helps. But may I say, there are many who are a hindrance to faith as well. And the Bible tells us about two groups of people here that hinder the work of God. One is the crowd. The Bible says, uh, verse 4 is a surprising verse. Since they, the friends carrying their friend, since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of, why? Why Why could their friends, why could these four men or more, each holding a corner of the pallet, not bring their paralyzed friends to to Jesus? Why, Why would that be? Because of the crowd, the Bible says. So I picture these guys coming up to the crowd and saying, hey, listen, we got a paralyzed man here. He's never been able to walk. You know, he can't, he can't get a job. He can't care for himself. He can't, he can't do anything. We need to bring him to Jesus, the great healer. And the crowd said, eh, listen, we were here first. <laughs> we were here first. I'm sorry. What about us? What about my needs? What about what I want? I want to listen to this man. You know, he's kind of famous. I want to, I want to hear what he has to say for myself. I don't want to be bothered by the needs of someone else. I don't want to have to sacrifice my place in line here. And the crowd stood in the way. May I tell you, often the crowd stands in the way of the things of God. The Bible describes the the path of Jesus as a narrow path going uphill. And broad, the Bible says, is the path that leads, the way that leads to destruction. That's a broad path. The crowd often is just merrily going along the wrong way. Sometimes going God's way is a little more lonely. It's a little more difficult and a little more uphill. And the crowd stood in the way. May we ne- Listen, may we never stand in the way of what God wants to do in life, but many times the crowd gets it wrong. And notice as well as another group of hinderers, and, and these are what I call the religious, the religious. Verse 6 says some of the scribes, and these are the religious folks. These are folks who know the Bible. They've gone to Sunday school. You know, they've attended worship services. They have sung the songs of faith. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The, the religious people got it wrong. And can I tell you, religion alone, that's not the goal of God for your life. Now, rightly understood, out of our relationship with God comes religious acts. We attend church because of our relationship with God. But many people, even though the relationship with God is stagnant, are still, I mean, they just replace what God wants with religious acts. God wants something more from you. Religious people can get it wrong. Religious people can stand in the way of what God wants to do. I can give personal testimony to this. Um, when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old, I was living in a small town in central Illinois. And uh, we had uh, attended the church where my dad was the pastor. <laughs> and... Um, I sat often at church by a, by a friend there named Mark McQueen. Mark was just my buddy. He laughed at my jokes. You know, I'd say little funny things and he'd laugh. And I, you know, I'd entertain Mark. He was just a nice, he was just a nice young man. 
And as a 12 or 13 year old, I wasn't always as attentive. I knew Christ as Savior. Listen, I had already repented of my sins and trusted Christ as Savior. I had gone to Sunday school all of my life. I went to worship services. I went to vacation Bible schools. I mean, I had, I had actively been involved in church. I mean, I was really, I was very religious. And I would be what you would call a good kid. I mean, I never robbed any banks yet or done any of the, you know, joined any gangs even or anything like that. I was a, what we would say was I was a good kid. But I didn't always pay attention real well in church. Didn't always, um, you know, really follow what the Lord wanted me to learn or to get. Sometimes I was more interested in entertaining someone like Mark McQueen. So at this particular Sunday morning, we were singing songs and I was entertaining Mark. I sang little witty, funny things. Oh, I could be witty. I could say some really funny things. Oh, I was on that day. My humor was working. Mark was laughing at everything I had to say. The sermon begins. My dad was saying whatever he was saying, blah, blah, blah. You know how preachers are on and on and on. They go rattling. Why do they talk so long? And I was just entertaining Mark and poking him and making little funny jokes. And my mom, moms are funny. They can just have a sense about what's going on with their kids. And my mom was sitting in the very front row, which... Uh, you know, where she normally sat. I was sitting in the very back. And my mom somehow sensed that I was not behaving properly. And she turned around. Here's what she did. She, she went like this. She goes, now, I don't know you kids, if your mom did that, what you do, maybe you could just ignore her. But I couldn't ignore when my mom did this. I knew I had to come. And I knew my dad would back that up. And I, there was no way out of this. And so my, when my mom said, I knew what I had to do. I had to get up from my seat in the back and I had to walk up that front row and I had to come sit right up here in the front by mom. I had to get up in front of everybody. The whole church would know I was getting in trouble and come sit in the front, embarrass myself. I'd be embarrassed in front of Mark McQueen and the other people in the church and come sit there knowing I'd probably get in more trouble when I got home. I'd have a good talking to, which was almost worse than anything else that could happen. And I sat there, you know, with my arms crossed, upset. My mom embarrassed me in front of everybody. I was going to get in more trouble. And, I, and I'd been on such a good roll. And man, now I just sat there and my dad on and on. He talked about whatever it was he talked about. I didn't pay any attention at all. And they got to the point at the end of the service where my dad invited people to trust Christ as Savior. I hardly paid any attention. I just happened to notice there was a young man who made a decision that day. It happened to be that this young man, Mark McQueen, that day heard the message of the gospel. I wasn't there poking him any longer. And he was convicted of his need for a savior. And that day, Mark McQueen repented of his sins and placed his faith in Christ as savior and Lord. And I'm telling you, in a spiritual sense, God hit me between the eyes with a two by four and reminded me that I was standing in the way. I'd been the one standing in the way of what God wanted to do. As a religious person, I'd stood in the way of what God wanted to do. Listen, by our attitude, by our actions, by our spirit, we can hinder the work of God so that God works around us instead of through us. And woe unto me and others when we hinder the work of the Lord. There's a third group I want you to know, a third person, and that's what I'm calling the helpless one. And really, this story tells us about this man who the Bible describes him as paralyzed. He's a paralytic, the Bible says. He's lying on a pallet, on a mat. He's not able to 
walk. You can't run around. You can't uh, jump. You take things for granted after a while. He couldn't just go to the store on a whim. He couldn't just walk around the block. He couldn't he couldn't play. When he was a little boy, perhaps he'd never been able to play the games the other little boys played. I, I don't know if he'd grown up paralyzed or if something had happened to him along the way, but he, he was no longer able to find a job and provide for himself and his family. He couldn't even come to see, to hear this famous man, Jesus. Someone else had to bring him. He was paralyzed. But can I tell you, he had a bigger need than that. He wasn't just paralyzed. He was a lost paralytic. He needed salvation because while he couldn't walk, he could sin. And like the rest of mankind, he was a sinner who needed a savior. And Jesus drilled down right to the very need of the man's life and said, son, your sins are forgiven. I suppose one of the reasons I love this story so much outside of the imagery of the guys tearing a hole in the roof, there's something about that, but I suppose I love it so much because it reminds me of the paralyzed grandfather that I never really knew. He died when I was very young. My grandfather, severe paralytic, fell when he was a boy, broke a hip. That leg didn't grow, and so he was, he was not paralyzed, but um, severely handicapped. And so he, that leg just didn't work well. He wore a great big boot as an adult to shoe to kind of balance himself out, had to swing that leg around. So for the rest of his life, he was crippled. And that really defined in so many ways how people perceived him and what he could do. He couldn't play games with the other kids. You know, he couldn't do the things other people did. It, it just affected him in every level of life. It made him, in many ways, perhaps there's some sadness and some sorrow and some pain in his life that happened through this. But can I tell you, the greatest need of his life was not physical healing. We would see a man like that and we'd say, listen, what's he need? Well, he needs to be healed. We see the paralytic. What's, what, what does that guy need? He needs to be healed. But the Bible says, what, if, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? There's a deeper need than even our health or our wealth or our new job or the new relationship. There's something deeper than that. And what my grandfather needed was a relationship with God because the, my grandfather was lost. He wasn't just crippled. He was a lost, crippled man. And he came to hear the gospel through some very unusual circumstances. If you ever come to the membership class, I'll tell that story always of the conversion of my grandfather. But... As a middle-aged man, he heard the message of the gospel and he repented of his sins and placed his faith in Christ and Christ saved him. You've heard me say before, perhaps, if you've been here, how I look forward to seeing my grandfather in heaven. I've got this early imagery of him in my mind, but I look forward to seeing him again in heaven one day. And uh, he reminds me of this story. The Lord touched him. You know, God didn't heal him physically, although he's healed now in heaven. But God forgave him of sins that day, and God gave him a new body, of course, in heaven. I am thankful that the Lord cares about those of us who are broken and lost. And that's all. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So whatever, whatever else you think you need in this world, whatever you say, that's what I need. I need, I need money, man. I need a job. I need a better relationship. I need a, I need a new family. I, whatever it is you say, that's my greatest need. There's a deeper need. And that's this relationship with God that affects everything else in life. Everything else in life. And this man found forgiveness of sins and he found new legs to walk upon. There's a fourth uh, group in this story. And that's what, that's this one I'm going to call the Holy One, the Holy One, the Lord Jesus himself. Verse two tells us Jesus came back to Capernaum. It was, it was, people found out he was there. And the Bible says in verse two, so many gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. So what does Jesus do? And he was speaking the word to them. Jesus 
began to teach them about his father and, and to teach them about what it meant to follow God's purpose and God's plan. He began to preach to them the truth. Jesus always does that. We're reminded that Jesus cares deeply about the truth. It's one of the reasons why we teach the word here. We preach the word. We sing the word. We, we, our life group's about studying the word. We want people to know what God has to say. We want them to, to study and learn and grow and become everything God wants them to become. And we want that for you. This story reminds us that Jesus, uh, Jesus reminds us that of what matters most, that salvation is even greater, even greater than the greatest things we think we need. The Bible tells us here that Jesus said, um, son, your sins are forgiven. Not, he didn't start with healing him physically. He started with the most important matter, his soul. And what matters most to you is the salvation of your soul, the forgiveness of your sins, the hope of eternal life, being born again. Jesus reminds us of authority. He reminds us of forgiveness and healing. In fact, Jesus said, the, the scribes said, well, who can forgive sins? Rightly, they said, who can forgive sins but God alone? And verse 8, Jesus right away perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say that the paralytic your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? They're about the same number of words. It's pretty easy to say either. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus reminds them of the authority he has, spiritually and physically. And then Jesus reminds us of his capabilities. I love that he healed the man. I love that he forgave the man. And I love that he allowed all those people to watch what was going on. And it, and I love how this passage ends. The people said this. They gave glory to God. They were glory to God. That's the right place to give glory to God. For every blessing that comes your way, salvation, every blessing you have to give glory to God. But notice what they said. We have never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. I want people to be able to say that about your life and our church, that we see Jesus working there. And it is, he is doing a work that is so great. Seeing their faith, seeing their faith, what will Jesus do seeing your faith? What will Jesus do in the lives of others seeing your faith? I want to ask you to live by faith, to follow God fully and completely. And if you will, God will do a work in the lives of others through your faith. He'll use you to be a witness. He'll do his work through you if you'll live by faith. Maybe you're watching this and you need to be saved. Well, can I just tell you, you need to repent of your sins, the Bible says, turn from your sin. Believe Jesus died for you, put your trust in Jesus' death for you, his resurrection for you, and then receive him as Savior. Ask him to save you and he'll save you right where you are. Won't you give your life to Christ? Would you say, Christian, God, I want to live by faith. I want my faith to be used by you. Help me to live by faith so that I'm a blessing to other people. Help my faith to be such that you'll see my faith and you'll bless others because of that faith. Lord, Lord, I want that kind of life. I want to be a helper, Lord. I want to be someone who will pick up a mat and bring someone to Jesus. I want to care like that. God will bless and honor that. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? 
Will you ask Christ to save you? Will you commit yourself to saying, God, I want to follow you. I want to pick up a corner of a mat and bring people to Jesus, Lord. I want my faith to be, would you just say that to, to the Lord? Just express your heart to the Lord. Father, thank you for this great story. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you, you saw their faith and through that faith, you brought healing and forgiveness to a man who so desperately needed it. Thank you, you see our faith and you will use people as simple and frail and fallen as us to accomplish your great purposes. Lord, we want to trust you to do great things because you're a great God, able to use people as simple as we are. We thank you for that great power. Help us to live by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.